What are some things that come to your mind when I say the word soft? Soft. Down pillar, pillow, a feather bed, cashmere sweater, an overstuffed chair, maybe Charmin toilet paper and Mr. Whipple. Did you know that he never had to work another job the rest of his life? Soft. Maybe it's baby's skin. Maybe it's our bodies after we turn 50. I don't know. It could be one of those. Some of you think of moist clay or a sandy beach or colors like a soft pink. And then what are some things that come to mind when I say the word hard? Rock, cement, diamond, steel, your husband's head. Oh, that's not supposed to be in there. Titanium, maybe oak or hardwood. Maybe you thought about math or chemistry, thinking about hard as a as in difficult. Hard contrasted with soft. Two contrasting characteristics of composition that we deal with just about every day. And today we're going to contrast soft and hard. But this has to do with the softness and the hardness of the human heart, of the human heart. Today we're going to look at heart management heart management. And we're going to look at an account as we go back to the the book of Exodus. Exodus 7, it's on page 49 in the Bible in the rack in front of you. It will also be up on the projection. Exodus 7, and we're going to just start with the first 13 verses as we talk about heart management, heart management. Then the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. And your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you. And your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt. And with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites, And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring my Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded Aaron, Aaron commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard And he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. This is just the first part of a larger story of Pharaoh's response to God's command. And we're going to look at some of these later. But basically, this is the first record of of him having his heart hardened or hardening his heart. Pharaoh, of his own free will and volition, chooses his response to God which results in hardness of heart, hardness of heart. Now, I want to answer three questions today. 
At least three questions. Number one, what is hardness of heart? What is hardness of heart? Number two, where does hardness of heart originate? And three, what can be done about hardness of heart? Let's start with what is hardness of heart. Now, in Hebrew thought, the culture and language in which this was written, the heart was understood to be the center of the intellect, the will, the seat of volitional action, where decisions were made. To them, heart did not have the emotional tones like we have today. I left my heart in San Francisco, or she broke my heart. Um, Those phrases would not make a lot of sense to the Hebrew living in Egypt at this time. Heart had to do with the will, with decisions, with loyalties and actions. Had to do with affections in the sense of commitment, not emotions. A soft heart meant pliable, changeable, teachable, and a willingness to give in. A hard heart meant set in his ways, refusal to change, refusal to be teachable, and a stubborn refusal to give in to anyone else's will. And here we find two, the first two of ten expressions of the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. It's interesting that ten times it says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart, where his heart was hardened. It's the same in Hebrew. And ten times it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Some think it's significant that Pharaoh is said to have hardened his heart six times before it says that God hardened his heart. But the Hebrew would likely see no difference between those two. Only that God asserted his sovereign will and Pharaoh refused to bend. He didn't bend. Instead, Pharaoh became harder, more stubborn, more resistant, and more brittle, more willful, more disobedient, more rebellious, every time a plague took place. Now, for us, what does that have to do with us today? For us, basically, a hard heart means my will is set against God's will. My heart is set against God's will. In other words, ultimately, it's rebellion. And it's usually a slow progression in our lives. It's a setting of my will against God's will, slowly losing the soft, pliable, and teachable character quality, becoming willful, stubborn, or hard. Hardness, hardness of heart. So number two, where does hardness of heart originate? Where does it originate? Where does it all begin? Hardness of heart all begins with, letter A, rejection of God's authority. Rejection of God's authority. Pharaoh says in in the second verse of chapter 5, a couple chapters earlier, he says, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? This is refusing to obey God. Refusing to obey God. God, speaking through Moses and Aaron, gave a command to Pharaoh. He said, let my people go. And it's a rejection of God's authority. And by so doing, Pharaoh elevated himself above God. Above God. So what about us? Where does hardness of heart begin in our lives? It begins with a rejection of God's authority. Refusing to obey. Rejecting the lordship of Jesus Christ. And we say, you know, God, I know I'm supposed to submit my will to yours, but... I really want to run my own life. 
I want to make my own decisions. I'll, I'll consult you if I need you, but I really need to be in charge here. I'm closer to the situation than you anyway. You're way up there. We're down here. Now, we may not actually say that verbally. We're afraid God's going to zap us. We, we may not say that, but we actually live that. Hardening our hearts first begins to take place when we, in our independence, assert our will over God's will. And when we do that, we wonder why our, our Christian life seems so weak or so complacent or passive or apathetic. We seem to experience no power, no life changes. We seemingly have no impact on those around us. See, God, God is our power source. We talked about the Holy Spirit coming down and flowing among us. God is our power source. And disobedience removes us from that stream of power. Because we're fighting against God. We're not going with God. Many today can tell no difference between believers and unbelievers. People who follow Christ and those that don't follow Christ. Someone called this group of believers edgy, edgy Christians, edgy Christians. Meaning they see how close they can get to the edge and still remain a Christian. See, the, the goal of our Christian life is not to see how far we can get from God and still stay Christian. Our goal is to see how close we can get to Jesus. If we live as edgy Christians with little to no difference from the culture, we lose our passion. We lose our passion for those that need Jesus around us. We become insensitive to the fact that people are lost. Why? My heart has become hardened because of my independence, my will, my way, my convenience, my life. And you know, our hearts usually become hardened slowly at first, just little at a time. As we reject God's authority and his voice speaking to us, his leadership, we become slowly hard of heart. And rejection of God's authority, in essence, elevates us as above him. Now, Pharaoh was wrestling with something. He was supposed to be a god himself. He was supposed to be a god. In the eyes of the people, he was supposed to be a god. Most of us don't have quite that big a problem. If you got that big a problem, hopefully somebody has straightened you out. I'm not God. But rejecting God's authority elevates self and other gods above the one true God. It's the essence of idolatry. Idolatry. So hardness of heart begins with the rejection of God's authority. The second cause of hardness of heart is a rejection of God's word. It's a rejection of God's word. This is refusing to listen. Refusing to listen. God speaks. Pharaoh says no. He just says no. He refused to listen. Now, I'm, I'm absolutely appalled at how many professing Christians knowingly and openly reject God's word. When I'm talking to God's, about God's word, I'm talking about this book, the Bible, primarily. Although God speaks directly too. Sometimes he speaks to us directly and, and we disobey. But God's word is there for everybody to know and live by. There's a refusal to listen. Now, this happens really slow, really slow. When I look at the history, when I look at where this country has been, how many of us have openly rejected God's word, refusing to listen. It started by, and most of us have started years ago, 
by watching immorality for entertainment. Watching immorality for entertainment. Then there was this progression over the years, the rejection of morality, all the things that have happened. And now we are in the middle of, and if you haven't been paying attention, we are in the middle of a gender controversy. A gender controversy totally departed from anything real in the Word of God. We believe in one God, two genders, male and female. Genesis, he made them male and female. How did we get there? We began slowly by forsaking God's Word, the inerrancy and authority of the Bible. And we find ourselves today at the other end. You say, how in the world did we get here? And you know what? I'm not blaming anybody out there who's not a believer. I'm not blaming non-Christians. We're here today because the church of Jesus Christ did not stand up for truth, hold on to the word of God, and love people as God loves them. We, we tend to blame them out there. You know what? It's not a them problem. It's an us problem. The church refused. And Denomination after church after denomination forsook the inerrant living word of God and said, well, you know, I, that's not really culturally acceptable now. We, we'd like to be more tolerant. What we're dealing with today has to do with truth. Truth. Now, my mission in life is to speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Okay? Now, you can speak truth without love. You can speak truth without love, but you cannot truly love without speaking truth. Let me say that again. You can, you can speak truth without love, but you cannot truly love without speaking truth. We must have the truth and speak the truth in love. No matter what that is. And slowly but surely, we've forsaken that. We've allowed our hearts to get hard. Because a lot of people don't even know what the Word of God says. Let alone believe it and practice it. I thank the Lord that we're part of a, of a denomination, a church group, and a church that believes in the inerrant, infallible Word of God, in the original autographs, that we believe the Word of God. That's inviolable, that cannot be left. Now, when you start leaving that, then it's my opinion against your opinion, and, and, and it's a, you're on a sea of subjectivity. We must hold to the Word of God. I'm way off of my notes. I don't know where I am. That's okay. We have no right to pick and choose which biblical commands to obey or disobey, making arbitrary decisions. When we start doing that, we end up with a hardness of heart. We lose sensitivity. The things that used to offend us in entertainment or television or movies, we just kind of go, oh, well, that's just the culture. And I'm not trying to be legalistic here. I grew up in the legalistic thing where you, you couldn't go to movies and dance and you couldn't do all that stuff. That's, that's legalism. We're talking about morality as it speaks to our culture and who we are. And we can end up with a, basically a hardness of heart. There's a man named Christian Slater who wrote a book entitled Soul Searching, 
the religious and spiritual lives of American teenagers. Now, this, is about, this book is about 10 years old now. And basically, he talked about the trend of American teenagers. And basically, this whole generation began to reject absolute truth. Why was that? Because they began to practice what he called moralistic therapeutic deism. Moralistic therapeutic deism. And the basis of moralistic therapeutic deism is that the whole purpose of our lives, purpose of our life is to be nice and to be happy. To be nice and be happy. No, where did they learn that? They, they grew up in the church. They said, just be nice. Just be nice and be happy. It's called interpersonal niceness, and that's the goal of their faith. And what does that result in? A big word called tolerance. Tolerance. Because if you don't believe something that somebody else believes, you're not going to be nice if you contradict them. And what do we end up with? We end up calling a belief in two genders hate speech. It's not nice. I'm not the one that said there are two genders. God said it. The Bible said it. Follow the science for Pete's sake. I mean, it's just, it's so obvious. And you know what? We took a stand. I don't know how many of you saw the sign. Look at it as you go out. I, and I'll take the blame for it. You don't have to blame anybody. I was going to blame Josh, but I, I'm not going to blame him. We felt like all, all of the kids in schools and we're hearing this feedback, they're getting so much of this gender thing. And it's in the media. Disneyland, I mean, it's everywhere that if you believe in two genders, you hate people. And that, that it's, just, it's just incredible. I said, you know what? We have to take a visible stand. We take a stand in here. I said, let's put it on the sign and see what happens. And I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. We have some demonstrators. That's fine. Basically, we believe in one God and two genders. And you know what? I've had nothing but positive feedback from whom? High school students said, thank you for helping us. We were sick and tired of this stuff permeating our school over and over and over again. We can't deal with it. They need to know that there are adults and churches and pastors that will stand with them in the truth. Don't apologize for it. Speak the truth in love. Yes, but speak the truth. We must speak truth. So rejection of God's word, that can make our hearts hard. And you know, that has happened to a lot of churches and denominations over a long period of time. Some of you are here because your denomination went that route. The third cause of hardening is a rejection of God's grace. A rejection of God's grace. This is refusing God's warnings. Refusing God's warnings. In the following chapters, we see God's grace. Whenever you see judgment in the Bible... It's interesting. You always see God's grace. You always see grace. This is no other, uh, no exception. Uh, first of all, God warned Pharaoh in advance what would happen. That's a warning saying, if you do this, this is what, what I'm going to do. Then he sent the plagues. Then he removed each plague when Pharaoh gives in, only to have Pharaoh change his mind again. Keeps extending grace. In our lives, we... See, God's grace extended to us over and over and over again. 
The grace that most of us experienced was the fact that God loves us and, and he would forgive us of our sins and accept us and we could have him come into our lives and be our Savior and Lord. We can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We have forgiveness of sin, any sin. That's grace. We didn't deserve it. We don't earn it. We can't earn it. That's grace. God's grace is extended to us. All of us, everybody, here, out there, doesn't matter. It's undeserved. And we are warned of the consequences of our sin. That's grace. When we reap the consequences and we cry out to God, he delivers us, restores us, and helps us. That's grace. What do we do then? We change our mind and go on rejecting God's grace again and again and again. But God always extends his grace. Always. But if we reject it often enough, sooner or later, our hearts may be too hard to accept his grace. I know of a man on his deathbed, knew he was dying, would not respond to the grace of God, refused to receive God's forgiveness and receive eternal life. Why? Because he had rejected God's grace so many times he was unable to receive it, even when facing death and eternity, because his heart was so hard. That's the pattern Pharaoh followed. It's a pattern we can follow. Now, we can, also, we can also reject God's grace in another way, by making it cheap grace. Now, some of you have heard this phrase. It was, it was purported or given by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the young German theologian who was imprisoned for his opposition to Hitler, was eventually put to death in Nazi Germany. And he wrote this. Cheap grace is preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Wow. We know that the heart of the gospel is forgiveness. But when we presume on God's grace and, and act as though God is obligated to show us favor, we forget God doesn't owe us anything, doesn't owe anyone anything. He's not obliged to pity and pardon. He does it of his own free will, his extended unmerited favor and grace. Interesting passage that talks about Pharaoh in Romans. When Paul penned this, it was a long time later. Romans nine fourteen to 18, he says, What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Some people are saying God is unjust. Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. God's grace is extended to us daily in many ways. But if we reject his grace, cheat on his grace, cheapen his grace, slowly but surely our hearts become hard. 
rejecting God's grace. The fourth cause of hardening, letter D, rejection of God's signs and wonders. Rejection of God's signs and wonders. This is refusing to believe, refusing to believe. As we will see in the next few weeks, God's, Pharaoh saw all the incredible power of God. And after the first nine plagues, he always asked forgiveness and said, okay, I give up. But he eventually hardened his heart after every one of them. And after the 10th plague, even, he hardened his heart. Now, how does this apply to us? We're, hopefully, we won't see plagues like this. But we do see signs and wonders. We, we see God's hand all around us. And of course, the more we know about how the universe works, the more in awe we ought to be. The wonders of the human body, the animal kingdom, nature, the natural order, the heavens, outer space. Signs all around us that point to the creator God. Signs and wonders of Jesus Christ. Signs and wonders performed by the Holy Spirit. Many of you who found Jesus Christ have told me how much your life changed. You, you experienced transformative power. They're all around us. What do we do with them? Do we take note of them? Do they make any difference? Do we ignore them? Do we just grow accustomed to them? Do we take them for granted? Or do we reject them? Or do we just ascribe them to chance or evolution or psychology or an emotional experience or psychic experience? A rejection of God's signs and wonders will harden our hearts. So where does hardness of heart originate? Rejection of God's authority, rejection of God's word, rejection of God's grace, rejection of God's signs and wonders. And our third question to be answered is, what can be done about hardness of heart? What can be done about that? As we walk through life, all of us have come to times that we're recognizing hardness in our heart. What can we do? Two actions we can take. The first one is repentance. Repentance. Repent for rebellion of asserting my will above God's will. And I don't know about you, that is a daily battle. Who's running my life, me or God? Okay, if you don't wrestle with that, you're a saint. Otherwise, you're a sinner like the rest of us. Basically, who's running my life? Who's in charge? There's a constant battle for who's in charge. Asserting my will above God's, running my life, deciding my priorities. It's difficult. Our self is strong. And Paul, Paul uses a terminology that our self needs to die, needs to be crucified. And it's kind of like, what? That sounds radical. Yeah, it does. Romans 6, 6, 11 to 12. And 11 to 12. Paul writes, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. This is the crucifixion of the flesh, putting to death the flesh. The, the baptism we had about three weeks ago showed that the, the death and burial of the old life and the resurrection of the new, putting to death the old nature. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Letting that old nature be crucified. Repentance. Repentance for rebellion. Second, repentance for rejecting God's word. 
or not listening to his voice. Taking time to listen to his voice. Three, repentance for cheapening God's grace. Sinning against God and saying, oh, well, God will forgive me. You know, um, yes, he will, but man, how many of us use that as an excuse? Well, God will forgive me if I do this. Cheap grace. Fourth, repentance for unbelief. Unbelief. The number one sin of all the Israelites and most religious people was and is still unbelief. 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 That can be expressed in a lot of ways, especially right now, all the, all the stuff we're dealing with. If you're in panic and worrying every day, that's unbelief. I know it seems out of control, but God is in control. Kind of thing. That doesn't mean we don't get involved, we don't get engaged. We, we connect, we do what God has called us to do and be. But worry is not of God. Worry is not of God. And we need to pray, leave it with God, and don't live in this constant, constant fear and worry. That's an expression of unbelief. God used to be in control. Two years ago, it was fine. Now he's not. It's out of control. No, God's still in control. So repentance. Secondly, acceptance. Acceptance of God's grace, God's forgiveness, God's love and his mercy. Sometimes we hesitate to accept forgiveness from anybody, especially God. We must accept his grace and say, God, I don't understand it. I don't deserve it, whatever. I want to accept your grace and then let that be a a way to soften our hearts as we stand before God. Restoration of relationship. God extends his grace on a daily basis. Then acceptance of God's power. God's power. We've talked about this when we went through the book of Acts, and we talked about the Holy Spirit coming down. That song, the last song we sang before, talks about the Holy Spirit coming down on all flesh. Prophesied in Joel 2, fulfilled in Acts 2. It's an amazing thing what God has done, pouring out a spirit. The spirit of the living God is in you. If you have Jesus as your Savior, acknowledge that, accept that, be connected, accept that power of God and allow him to do that. Someone described the Holy Spirit like like oil or hydraulic fluid. Those of you that understand hydraulics know that you can have a little lever and you move it and it moves this huge thing on the other end. Why? Because of the connecting oil or the, the, the water, whatever that is. Some describe the Holy Spirit like oil or hydraulic fluid. God applies the power and is carried to and through us by his Holy Spirit. We experience the power of God beyond us, beyond our abilities. Accept that. Be open to that. We do that. It keeps our heart soft. Acceptance of God's plan. God, you have a plan. You have a purpose. I want to submit my will to your will in your way. And fourthly, accept God's discipline. Accept God's discipline. God's discipline helps soften our hearts. Hebrews 12, 5 to 6, the writer says, and you've forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son.
An illustration was used describing God's work on our hearts. And he describes it as sun shining on two different materials. One is shining on clay and one is shining on wax. Heat melts the wax, softens the wax, but it hardens the clay. It's the same sun, same sun rays. One is wax and one is clay. The difference is in the rays of the sun, but it's the, the materials in which they shine. We say, God, make my heart like softening material, to be softened by your power. God's actions are designed to soften our heart. And our free will determines what happens, whether it's softening or hardening. Do we allow God's hand to soften our heart or to harden our hearts? Where are you today? Is your heart hard? Is your heart soft? And more importantly, because it's probably in the middle somewhere, which way is it moving? Which way is it moving? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you give an illustration of a human, actually human that lived here on earth, and he dealt with the same kinds of things we dealt with, and... and uh, Thank you for the lessons we can learn. I just pray, God, that you would give us hearts that are soft. Father, that we would sense your presence and your power in our lives. That you would soften our hearts. And God, that you would give us soft hearts to those around us who are confused and hurting. They desperately need truth, but they desperately need Jesus. And I pray that we won't point our fingers in judgment or cruelty, or, but we will have compassion and pray for those that are dealing with issues. And I just pray, Lord, today that you would do that with our hearts. In Jesus' name, let's stand, shall we?